0: too bad because it's on Wow! <laughs> i already hit the button
1: the button's been pressed it, it's been pressed this thing can't it's this no tra- going back now
0: this train has left the station welcome to the duke and duchess podcast welcome my name's chad I'm Liz. Yes, you are. Still. Shuffling papers. (laughs) All right, so welcome to episode nine. And in episode nine, we are going to cover off on chapters 84 through 92, uh, which is the end, actually through the epilogue, so which is the end of The Name of the Wind.
1: Dun, dun, dun. The entire book,
0: all done. So we'll go ahead and we'll cover off through those sections. And then what we're going to talk about next week, because we always talk about that here, is next week we're actually going to put together sort of like a review of the whole book, a couple of other things that we want to talk about. So we can really just concentrate on these chapters this time and then kind of get back and do more of an overall summary of of the whole book and predictions. And we can review the predictions and talk about some other things that we want to talk about.
1: Bitch about Denna a little more. You got to. One more time. It's
0: got to happen. You got to get it in. I hear she dies in the first chapter of the next book (laughs) all right so we'll talk about our spoiler spoiler policy real quick and that is very simpler simply that I have not read these books so we ain't going to spoil anything at least not through the end of the name of the wind so
1: right so spoilers for the name of the wind everything is fair game at this point correct Um, but
0: no wise man's fear correct or the novellas correct Um, So don't talk about it.
1: Don't talk about it.
0: Don't do it. All right, so we'll go ahead and we'll get started talking about chapters 84 through 92. I'll I'll give a kind of a quick synopsis of what happens in these chapters here. And, you know, really where it starts out is um, with Quoth finding Denna and then running into his buddies. And then while he's talking to his buddies, Ambrose comes up, steals his loot, smashes it. And then Quoth, I know it was pretty bad, terrible, right? Can you Quoth, tell
1: I'm my eyes are widening in right? anger?
0: Quoth uh, calls the name of the wind, um, and then as a result of his malfeasance, uh, he and Ambrose are called on to the horns, where he is promptly expelled, and then reinstated and promoted, because that's what always happens to Quoth. Um, and then Ori takes him down below the, um, down into the under thing, where he manages to find a secret way into the archives, but not before we have an interlude uh, back in the, quote, present day, unquote, where a demon zombie slash possessed person comes in and wreaks terrible havoc. Um, and then at the end of it, it ends with Bast threatening chronicler.
1: So quite a bit.
0: A lot of stuff. Going on in these couple of chapters. Yeah, I mean, it's the end of the book, so you would think it would be fairly plot heavy. And there's really not a lot of denouement in this. It's just kind of, it just kind of rolls on through. So, so what
1: is your, before we get into the chapters, going through chapter by chapter, what's your overall impression of the end of the book? Do you feel like loose ends were tied up? Uh, are you excited for the next book? I mean, what, what's your impression overall?
0: I'm excited for the next book. I certainly think that it had its own nice narrative arc. It definitely did not wrap everything up, but I would not expect it to because it's the first part of a trilogy. Right. So that's not really a problem for me. I think um, some of the stakes in here were very personal, but they weren't necessarily these, you know, epic world changing consequence type things that are going on. And then there's still a lot of mystery left, uh, in terms of why did demons keep attacking this inn, you know, and different things like that. Right. So, um, I would say the ending overall was good. I don't think it was amazing, but I think it was like completely in context with what was going on. I don't, I, I try to refrain from judging books one and two of a series on the basis of their endings. Every once in a while you get one that has an amazing ending and it's like, all right, cool. You know, like I felt like the, the ending of the, uh, the eyes of the world, the first book of wheel of the time, wheel of time had a pretty amazing ending, you know, as you know, parts of a a series would go. But I sort of feel like that's a bonus when you get that. I don't really hold, you know, first and second books of a trilogy by that standard.
1: It uh, it's, your impression is interesting to me. I um I feel differently. I um I really liked this ending. It kind of blew me away, and I think it's because it really subverted my expectations. Um just the way the narrative played out and I kept expecting that that traditional arc where, like you said, there's a day mall. You have the one big thing happen, and then it's kind of we wind up, we wind down, and then you know you think that's okay. He kills the dragon. The end. Oh wait, he's going back to the university. Oh wait, this whole other thing happens. Oh wait, he actually learns the name of the wind, and then this whole other thing happens with this demon. I mean, it just you just it it just keeps you off balance a little bit, and I kind of like that. Um,
0: yeah, and and I and and like I said, I, I feel like it was satisfying in its own way. I agree with you that it definitely plays with the traditional idea of what a fantasy epic ending would be, and, and I enjoyed it. I, I mean, but again, I wasn't blown away by it. I thought it was, I thought it was solid, and I thought it was emotionally consistent with the overall storyline.
1: Yeah, I think there were definitely a lot of feels for me. Um, it in this, this whole section, starting with chapter 84, which is called A Sudden Storm. And so as we kind of get into the, the details of this chapter, we start off. So at, at the end of the last chapter, Quoth um, has had this adventure with Denna. Uh, she's, you know, passed out from eating dinner resin like a dumbass. I'm sorry, I'm not going to bag on her too much. <laughs> but so she's passed out. Kvothe, um is forced to leave her unconscious but safe in the woods while he goes and kills an enormous Dracus and saves a town. And he has a, a church fall on him, basically. And when he wakes up, <laughs> the first thing he thinks of is Denna. He stumbles off with a huge concussion and no shoes to find her, only to find that she is already gone.
0: Now, what percentage of this story does he walk around with no shoes?
1: Quite a bit. Quite a bit. And I don't know why, but this time through reading that section where it's not that he doesn't have shoes is that he, he can go retrieve them, but he goes to find her first before he even gets his shoes to tromp through the woods. He goes to find her first. She's gone. Didn't leave any sign that she, you know, she looked for him or anything like that. So he's assuming that she's mad at him, which to me is just infuriating, but that's okay. Anyway, he goes back to the university, and um, that's where we are at the beginning of this chapter, and at the beginning of this chapter, boom, he just runs into her, and this is the the part that I- Do you need a moment? I have to angry breathe. Like, you know how when I get really, really mad at our kids, I, I talk in a British accent, <laughs> this part of the book makes me think in a British accent.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Well, I just think things sound nicer in a British accent, so you can
0: you know. say horrible, horrible things <laughs> in a British accent, and it's all right.
1: It takes the edge off. <laughs> okay. But that's Work how for Spike and Buffy. <laughs> that's how angry this this whole for me this scene just really encompasses just the ridiculousness of their relationship and everything about it. And I, I think it's it's a, it's a good bit of storytelling, but it's a frustrating scene to witness because here we have two characters and, and we have this moment where they both really have an opportunity to grow and to open up. Okay, so they've been through this whole adventure together and they've taken down these walls and they see each other. And they both have a moment where they could step outside their comfort zone and be a tiny bit vulnerable and express to the other that, oh, my gosh, I what happened? And let's talk, you know, and they both chicken out, you know.
0: Well, to her credit, she's standing there with some other man.
1: How is that to her credit?
0: Well, because she hasn't committed anything to Quoth. Quoth hasn't committed anything to her, so she's allowed to go hang out with other dudes if she wants to. You know, she's going to find another man. She's going to go find another man. And then when she's standing there with that man, who she's trying to figure out most likely if this guy is, you know, worth a damn, she's not going to be like, oh, Quoth, I love you. Where have you been when, you know... Now, Quoth couldn't take that risk, but she can't.
1: Right, but I don't think she needs to proclaim her love for him but maybe like hey are you okay last I heard you know there was a dragon and a church I mean she has to know something but to not even acknowledge that they went through this together and to just be all like fake it just really like it just really burns my pickle I don't know um wow (laughs) that's even a thing um the whole encounter is just they're just both being so dumb you know and uh it's not a bad thing i think it's it makes their characters interesting Um, yeah i didn't
0: take that i didn't take it that way from her at all like i took it where she was like ah quoth i'm happy to see you and he's like hey i missed you let's get together you know and there it's all under this illusion that he's gonna he was telling a story and she didn't get to hear the ending and she's like, "Ah, you know what? I don't really like when stories drag on." You know, which I felt was a very pointed way of her sort of hinting that, you know, I'm kind of tired of figuring out if you're going to be hot or cold.
1: Right, but she's the one who left him,
0: you know? No, he left her. He, he left-, left her stranded in a cave. And- now, for good reason, I I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't argue. It wasn't for a good reason, but she woke up and he was gone.
1: And she didn't even go look for him, though.
0: Well, that, well, that we know of.
1: And that's a good point. That is a good point.
0: Hey, well, And I tend, don't get me wrong, I tend to agree with you that I think that they're both being idiots. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think that she bears any more burden in that than he does.
1: It's just funny because my, on my notes, one of my notes is, they are both dumb, but Dena is dumber. <laughs> so I guess I, I disagree with you there. I, I guess so. <laughs> we, you know, we could probably go back and forth about this for a long time. And I have already, uh, you know, well expressed my many reasons for, you know, my opinion. Um, so I, I don't need to delve into all that. We may just have to agree to disagree that Denna is the dumber one of this relationship. I
0: wonder how much of that is because I'm a man, you're a woman. Like when I when I see what Quoth does, I put myself in my own fifteen year old shoes and all the stupid things that I did as a fifteen year old trying to figure out romance and dating and all that. And I just go, God he's dumb and you know, when I say God he's dumb, I look back at myself and go, Yeah, I was pretty stupid too. You know what I mean?
1: That's entirely possible. And maybe
0: you're you're doing the same thing with her.
1: I was really dumb when I was fifteen.
0: It's amazing how it works. I did
1: some dumb shit. Right. not even joking. Especially
0: when it comes to relationships. Oh, my God. Good Lord. You don't know. (laughs) All right. right. Well,
1: let's move on from that infuriating encounter, which I think we at least can agree that it was infuriating.
0: Oh, it was infuriating. Right. Because every time the two of them are together and they don't really come out with the truth of it, it's frustrating. Right.
1: So we move on from that, and we have a really nice scene with Will and Sim, and it's nice to see that friendship that's grown really organically throughout this book, and um, they both just um, are really supportive about his situation, and um, interestingly, Willem points out a hole in Denna's story... um, that he points out that Dena claimed that she needed to go look for her patron, when later she revealed that she didn't really need to look for him because she knew that he got away from the wedding unscathed. Yeah. Um. So, and they're in the middle of kind of like sussing that out a little, and
0: well, hold on, I want to before we, we move on to that next section. So I forget if it's I think it's Will I forget if it's Will or for Sims, but I thought it was Will who's saying. The only reason why she did that is because she clearly is into you and wants to spend time with you.
1: Yeah, that's what Simmons, I think, then says. right.
0: Which I thought, oh, that's interesting because I didn't pick up on that hole in the story either. It makes perfect sense in retrospect, but I didn't pick up on it. But then after I thought about it for a second, I said, well, wait a minute. She wanted to spend time with him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she wanted to spend time with him in a romantic sense. You know, we've been debating whether or not she is there of her own desires or not. We tend to believe that she's into him, but we also have this speculation that she's spying on him or collecting information about him or spying in general. And it seems to me that she could just as very well have been planted in that inn and made that excuse just so she could try to figure out why he was there and what he was after. You know, it may have had nothing to do with actually wanting to spend time with him. It certainly had nothing to do with the uh, with Master Ash, but she may have been trying to suss out from him what the hell he was doing there.
1: Well, that's entirely true. And, you know, it could. it's possible that even even if her patron didn't know that Quoth was coming to investigate, he could have told her if anyone comes to investigate, you stick with them and figure out what what they're up to
0: yeah exactly or or she may have also realized you know of her own volition hey this is strange that this kid who leaves Tarbian shows up at the university is now showing up here i better see what this cat's up to you know so it could have been of her own volition as well which may or may not have had anything to do with any romantic interest
1: uh, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities here, and and I don't we don't ever get these questions answered in this book anyway. And um, but it's it's an interesting speculation to kind of put a pin in there. Um, and they also, uh, Will and Sim start talking about Fella and the fact that she obviously has the hospital quoth. Sure, she does. Absolutely, and uh, but they're interrupted by they're they're beginning to scheme, getting him together with her when, um.
0: Ambrose comes along and scoops up Quoth's loot, and he does the most nineteen eighty seven teenage movie bullying like that he you've ever seen.
1: Absolutely has a popped collar polo
0: shirt on in this you, you, scene. Of course he does.
1: <laughs> absolutely, his daddy's
0: Ferraris parked in the back.
1: Completely, totally, that's what he's wearing in this scene, and uh, yeah, starts just kind of taunting him, but ends up breaking the loot, and. Fult's reaction ends up being spectacular and ends up being the thing that he be you know, he ends up finding this thing that he began the book looking for, and this this sort of primal scream comes out of him, but it's not a scream, it's the name of the wind. And Ambrose is in a very satisfying manner just pinwheeled to the ground, as if struck by the hand of God. I think the book says Yeah, that's and, exactly what um, it says. Yeah. Um it's it's all a very kind of big moment. And again, coming down from this this whole killing the Dracus thing and then to have another huge kind of um narrative point happen like this, it's it's just a really interesting well, bit this, of storytelling.
0: That was much more satisfying to me than killing the Dracus because you know that slaying of the dragon, so to speak, was so so very much a tongue in cheek sort of like not really slaying the dragon. That you know, it kind of downplayed and robbed its own thunder, you know, at every at every chance that it could, right? You know, and that's a, and that's okay. It was still enjoyable and still interesting to read, and by the way, still dangerous as hell. Even though it wasn't, you know, a you know quote fire breathing dragon that you know we would typically think of, it's still dangerous as hell, right? Right. Um, but you know, the way the narrative is put together, it really does everything it can to downplay it. But this was truly spectacular and the dracus sort of comes out of from goddamn nowhere like and doesn't have anything to do with anything else in the book right you know so the idea that slaying the dragon was at all any sort of you know i don't know what's the word i'm looking for climax right you know just makes no sense because it doesn't relate to anything else in the book right but we've been talking about the name of the win since chapter three. Yep. And it's the you know it's the titular line, right? It's the name of the book, and so that's a big deal. You know, this is much much more satisfying to me than all that crap with the Dracus.
1: Absolutely. I'm sorry you said titular. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a, it's a good word.
1: Oh, okay, that's cool. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> um so quoth calls the name of the wind and then he goes into some kind of weird waking trance yeah just basically freaks the hell out he goes catatonic, uh yeah. will and sim are there and they take him to Kilvin, and um sweeps in and um he he steadies quoth eventually by you know looking deep into his eyes and he and he says makes him say a word i thought he was
0: gonna make out with him
1: right <laughs> he didn't look at me.
0: He looked through me.
1: He looked through it. He, he saw his he, heart. He felt his lungs and stuff. His lungs too. Yeah. And uh, and he and he has quotes cool say air left and then um, he speaks to him, and then the storm stills. So that's just all very kind of interesting. And, and I was wondering what what like what was your take on that? What did you think was kind of going on there when you read that
0: with the whole catatonic state? Right. Honestly, I just figured he. Was overwhelmed by what he had done, or it was sort of the come down from using a power he'd never used before. I didn't really think a whole lot of it, mm-hmm. um, and Elidan explains to him what it is, and so I just sort of went with with it. I didn't really, I didn't huge, I didn't put a huge amount of effort into thinking about it.
1: I, I think, and he does explain most of it, but I, the question that I was left with was, what does he whisper t- to him? And does he whisper full true name or, or what, what is that? There's some kind of power there that, you know, that the way the magical system in this book has worked so far has been like laying out one thing, but there's a deeper, more powerful thing behind it. And then you learn about that thing and, Oh wait, there's a deeper, even more powerful thing behind that. So
0: to me, I think the thing that was the most telling about it was what it says about Aladdin. I mean that, Right. That's the thing I took about it the most. He's the real deal. Yeah. And like at every step of the way, you know, every time we see Elodin in any sort of significant scenario where he has a reason to use his powers, he's always showing something new and he's showing another name or he's showing another facet of what he can do. And it's like, he's kind of the last remaining like true arcanist, like everybody and all these other guys are, you know are barely able to hold his jock. I mean, really, Mm -hmm. like at least from what we've seen. Right. You know, this guy's the real deal.
1: Right. But it's interesting because, you know, on the outset then, and I think that's kind of another theme of the book and and power. And what does it really get you? You know, he has all this power, but he's, he's barely hanging on to sanity and barely able to function around other people. He's walking around barefoot with a, a rope holding up his pants and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, can't even really have real conversations or or relationships with other people.
0: And on the other hand, you have Ben, who we meet in the beginning of the book, who doesn't have nearly the power that Elidin does, but he still knows the name of the wind and still can do all these amazing things. And yet he spends a, a huge chunk of his life living hand to mouth.
1: Right. Right. Well, I don't know. He's got that sweet brewery now. Well,
0: now. I mean, he didn't start there.
1: <laughs> Do you wish I had a sweet brewery when you married me?
0: At the yeah, at the time, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what the hell kind of a question is that? Of course I did.
1: Okay. Moving on to chapter 85, which is called Hands Against Me. And of course, that's referencing the the vote that's taken um among the masters. Um so Quoth um, starts off spending 18 hours behind the doors of sleep. And I thought it was really interesting that this phrase comes back because um, he used this to describe his coping mechanism to deal with the trauma of his parents' deaths.
0: Back in like chapter six or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: way back, way back when he talked about the doors of sleep being mm-hmm. being a way that we cope with trauma. And so the fact that it's used to reference he- this event just shows you how profoundly it affected him but he sacks out for 18 hours he wakes up and is almost immediately called up on the horns for malfeasance i
0: mean one thing you have to say about the justice system here at the university it's swift definitely it's efficient
1: so quoth um is prepared this time around and he and he's studied the the rule book a little bit, so he he fires back and accuses Ambrose of theft, destruction of property, conduct becoming a member of the Arcanum, and it kind of goes back and forth a little bit. Master Hem is a dick, of course. Yeah, Quoth tries to get Ambrose expelled, but really, like, it's pretty ballsy of him because he's trying to get him expelled for basically for mocking him. And yeah, <laughs> it's kind of that's kind of rich, but um, yeah, he tries to get him expelled for being petty.
0: But it's, I mean, but it shows, again, his skill set and just his level of intelligence because Mm -hmm. it's really only because he read that, really got a good sense of it, you know, took the initiative to do it, and then had the foresight to levy counter charges against him that it goes the way that it does. Right. You know, if he walked in there like anybody else with his tail tucked between his legs... It sounds like he most likely would not have been expelled, but he would have gotten lashes, and that's it. You know, he would have walked. Nothing positive would have come out of it.
1: Right. Well, and he comes darn close to getting Ambrose expelled.
0: Correct. Yeah. You know,
1: one more vote, and and he would yeah. have. And he was kind of surprised at that. But um, instead, he gets expelled. Dun dun dun. 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 Except, psych. Not really. Not really. So chapter 86 starts. It's called The Fire Itself.
0: So he's expelled. Oh, no, my life's over. We go to chapter 86. And then it's, you know, we're going to take a vote to reinstate him. That caused me to think, okay, what's really going on here? Because we talked about how how he he's... In the beginning, he talks about, I'm Quoth, I did all these things. I burned down the town of Traben. I got expelled from the university before, mm-hmm. you know, at an age where most people aren't even admitted to the university. And I'm like, okay, is all that just a red herring? I mean, did, mm-hmm. you know, is is that what he means? He got expelled. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, in the following breath, got unexpelled. Right. <laughs> is, you know, and I, this whole time I'm holding out that... You know, he's going to burn down the town of Trayvon and I'm holding out that he's going to get expelled from the university. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you lying sack of shit. This is not at all. <laughs> like,
1: But that's one of our themes. You're right. It, which it is. is the truth, you know, and the how many layers there are to the truth and to the stories that we tell.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, continues later on in this section uh, when we're kind of back in the quote present time. Right. But yeah, it does. It really kind of shows that you really can't trust any of that, any of that stuff, which I think is good, because, you know, when you, when you put out there from the beginning that, hey, I'm this character, I did all these things, and then you're going to walk through those things, why would you tell what's going to happen? There's some ways in which knowing what's going to happen creates suspense. And I think this whole time, all the stuff that's been going on with the university, I'm like, all right, when's he going to get expelled? When's he going to get expelled? When's he going to get expelled? That creates a certain amount of tension and suspension or uh, suspense rather. And he could, by the way, still get expelled from the university. We know he has to leave and it's not of his own choice. Um, but I think it's an interesting choice to do that and then you know, say, I'm "Quoth, I did all these things and then really betray that in the narrative. I think it's an interesting choice to do it. And I like it.
1: Right. And, and again, I, I feel like in that, that beginning section where he is throwing out there, these are the things that people... And I feel like he's saying, these are the things people say about me. You may have heard of me.
0: Yeah, correct. I'm
1: quote, I did... I did all of this and, but then here's the story behind the stories. So he's not expelled. Um, no. steps up and sp- sponsors him. Not only that, but he's admitted to the Arcanum and then, um,
0: well, he's, he's to all like, what, what, what? Yeah.
1: you know, and, uh, Elodin kind of takes him out and starts explaining things to him. So we get a little backstory of the university yep. and we find out that the university started as a, University where I imagine they taught math and science and stuff like that. But this this sort of cabal formed within that. And that was the Arcanum. That was the beginning of the Arcanum.
0: A secret guild.
1: A sort of a secret guild. Right. And that these were people um, who saw things the way they really are. To get into the guild, you had to be able to prove that you could see things. And so you were called the seer or Elir. And then um, you became a Raylar by speaking, speaking names. And this part, I just—I have so much to say about this. I think it's so interesting that that Quoth has been seeking the name of the wind, spent a good chunk of his time with Ben trying to trick him into getting the name of the wind, and then he speaks it, and he's like, "What happened?" I cannot understand. You know, <laughs> he's like, "What?" You know, and um, so he spoke well, if it.
0: Ben, if Ben had written it out and taught him how to pronounce, you know, it wouldn't have mattered.
1: Exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly, and and he wouldn't have been able to even explain it to him. So, Elladan explains. The name of the wind. Well, lay it on me.
0: It's Jeff. <laughs> but it's, I mean, come on! It's not as simple as all that. <laughs> you got to know Jeff. <laughs>
1: So, Eladin explains that, um, so there's names, capital N, and names, lowercase n, but they both have power. And so he illustrates that by calling to a student by his name, and the student comes over and he's like, See, names have power. And Quoth is like, You prick, (laughs) you utter prat. Just tell me what's going on.
0: (laughs) Well, I think, I think Eladin does a pretty good job of, of explaining that it's not something that you can explain in words you have to go you have to kind of experience it and walk through it exactly
1: and he explains the difference between the waking mind and the sleeping mind and Mm -hmm. how the sleeping mind is the mind that dreams and that's the mind that knows the names of things that can see beyond the waking world and so in order to know the name of something you have to wake your sleeping mind and i just think it's so interesting that that Quoth is this character who is relentlessly seeking knowledge relentlessly seeking power and here's eloden finally laying this real power out there for him and he is like he's not open to
0: it he's really not
1: he's not and it's the first time that we've seen him be like yeah you're just crazy yeah no No. yeah no
0: to be fair Eladin did cause him to dislocate his shoulder and break several ribs.
1: True. But I think it's more than that. And I think this is such um, an important insight into his character. And I think we get to see here one of his most important flaws. And that is his absolute need to control everything. He is a complete control freak. And he is unable to let go. And it, it sounds to me like allowing the sleeping mind to take over is about letting go. Mm. letting go of control, letting go of your waking mind and kind of surrendering. And that's something that Quoth is just completely unable to do.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. And I, I like that you put that out there. It's something I have to take more of a look at because I didn't, I didn't see it from that point of view. I saw it from more of the point of view of Quoth is somebody who has been able to understand things pretty much spot on from the get go. He hasn't had to really work very hard at learning things or understanding things. Even things that were complicated or difficult, he would understand them at at least sort of a conceptual level. And then he would break it down and eventually, you know, really digest the material. And here's something that doesn't respond to that. It's not something that he can understand simply and easily or conceptually at any sort of a level. So he just pushes back on it, sort of like almost like in a sour grape sort of, you know, way where, you know, you know, somebody who's really, really good at academics, but for whatever reason can't get trigonometry says, you know what? Who needs trigonometry anyway? That's crap. That's kind of the way I I looked at it.
1: Well, and I think that you're also correct in your assessment. And I think that those two um, perceptions are kind of sides of the same coin. You know, and and both aspects of this character. So he is someone who is um, used to approaching problems in the same way. You know, and he is um, relies on his intellect. He knows he's the smartest person in the room, basically any room that he walks into, and he's comfortable with that. He's in charge. You know, and I think um, it would makes it makes sense. You know, this is someone who um, lost his parents early in a traumatic spectacular event and then lived on the streets and went through some really brutal times and is now you know living by the skin of his teeth and so he's always had to be in control he's always had to be in charge and he's always been able to take apart a problem intellectually and solve it and this is the first time in his life he's been up against something that that he he can't handle it that way so he's got to be vulnerable he's got to admit that he doesn't understand and so he doesn't seem to be able to do that particularly with Elidan who has never approached him in a way that he was comfortable with you know so he's kind of brushing him off like he's crazy and and, and not being open to learning so it's just it's an interesting insight into his character i it think It is yeah i agree and so Elidan is explaining about the power of words and that kind of jumped out at me and this is something that that i feel like like I think Patrick Rothfuss doesn't throw phrases out lightly. You know, um, he what well, he says, you know, talks about the word blue and how you can't explain blue, but look, there it is. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me that makes sense. But both is just like what
0: he doesn't want to hear.
1: <sighs> you know, but he says that words are pale shadows of forgotten names, but they still have power. Um, so I, I just think that's interesting. Again, it's another hint at how much has been lost as far as the magical system of this world. Um, But he also says, and these phrases jumped out, there are seven words that will make a person love you. It's not the first time we've heard that. Nope. And he also says there are 10 words that will break a strong man's will. So those are things that jumped out. Like, I feel like they're going to come back at some point. And he says, a word is like a painting of a fire, but a name capital N is the fire itself. And Quoth is just basically. So then at the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 87, Boldness, is Quoth basically saying, "Yeah, he's cracked. Yep. He is completely <laughs> crazy." Yeah. And and he's he's uh as he continues throughout the chapter talking about Elidan, it's very disparaging. He says something to the to the effect of, it might not be this chapter, it might be later in the book, but he, he says at some point, uh, yeah, Elidan did something that someone might possibly call teaching, but it wasn't, you know, so it, it's all just very, very interesting the way he approaches that. We also learn that um, a little bit about being a Rellar, that there are advanced bindings that he's able to learn. Um, his ears
0: we, perk up on that one. His
1: ears perk up on that one. Uh, okay. He's like, hey, can you get me into the archives? And and no. Not so much. Sorry. Sorry. 'Cause that's the kind of power that he's looking for. You know, that's the kind of knowledge he's looking for.
0: Yeah, and Eladdin's like, there are some things even I can't Exactly. <laughs> I can't do.
1: Exactly. But um so so again, he's he's kind of shut himself off from exploring this, um, because he can't accept letting go of his waking mind. That's too too frightening for him. But um so he's he's talking to Will and Sim at the beginning of this next chapter and telling them how mad Eldon is. <sighs> Sim doesn't want to hear him Blaine, because he just got paid two span of silver for breaking Ambrose's arm. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really don't want to hear about how terrible your luck is.
1: <laughs> and it's just, um, I, again, I always say this, one of my favorite just aspects of the series has been his relationships with with Will and Sim and with Ori. Ori.
0: Yes, yeah, agreed.
1: Um, and I think you just really see... Uh, one of the best sides of this character in those interactions. And he has, then he has a, a very sweet interaction with her as well. And they exchange honey wine and a wooden ring. And, um, at the bottom of the bottle of the honey wine is a question.
0: I just love the way that they interact and the little games that they play with each other. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the book. It's just adorable.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that there's, there's, I think there's a lot of symbolism in, in their relationship that is going to come back at some point.
0: Yeah, I think Ari's going to play a bigger part in things later. That's my take.
1: I, I'm thinking about going through and like writing down, and maybe I'll put this on the website, like a little chart of the, all the gifts that they exchange.
0: That's a great idea. That When you started to say it, I was like, oh, that write out all the gifts and all the little metaphors that they use right. inside of all the gifts and, right. and, and see if it leads to anything. I mean, it may just, it may be nothing, but, but heaps and heaps of sweetness piled on top of each other, but it could be one of those things where there are clues hidden inside of it that we just haven't picked up on yet.
1: Yeah. I think I'm going to do that. That's a great idea. I, I love, love making charts. <laughs> um, so Ori um, takes both into the under thing and makes a cute little
0: joke. I love all the, phrases she uses to describe the under thing
1: yes yes and um and I actually have like a little chart in my book about that as well
0: another chart
1: <laughs> um so yes I I agree as well um and and in this chapter she takes him through the gray 12 and um through bottom uh which it just starts to give you a hint that the under thing is more than just a series of pipes and tunnels.
0: And I suspected that from the beginning. Right. Which is not to put some sort of praise on my prognostication abilities because right. it's pretty obvious that... Right. ...that that's meant to be a mystery that will come up later.
1: Right. So it's, it seems... It's, yeah, it seems obvious that, that the university is built on something older and um, something there's something mysterious going on or, or will be down there. Yeah, It's going to be important at some point. But... Unfortunately, our story is interrupted, interrupted by a crazy interlude.
0: Yeah, this was the interlude of all interludes.
1: This was a crazy interlude.
0: Man, there was a lot. Like, I, you know, going through and taking notes, half of my notes for this whole section are all from chapter 88.
1: Yeah, there is a lot that happens in this chapter. So let's, um,
0: because I don't want to give a blow by blow, let's try and summarize it. Kind of briefly, and then talk about it because we could spend yeah a long time doing a blow-by-blow on this, but a lot of it is action that's interesting. But
1: well, yeah, why don't you go through what your summary would be, and I will, you know, s- tell you what jumped out at me. Or
0: okay, all right. So we break from the action of quoth talking about what's going on in the un- under thing and what he finds when he's down there with Ari to people coming into the inn, and it's the the locals, Jake and Old Cobb and Carter and all those people kind of coming in. And Shep. And poor Shep. They come in for the evening, you know, and they want to start telling their stories, and they want to have their their ale and a little bit to eat, and everyone's, you know, it's just sort of a normal Sort of thing. But of course, they walk in on, you know, Bass and Chronicler and Quoth in the middle of all this. And then, quote, excuse me, Quoth immediately becomes Coat again and sort of shrinks back into this, you know, failed innkeeper. And they're saying, hey, Coat, who's Chronicler? And he's got to explain the whole thing and all of that. But really, the interesting stuff happens when one of the mercenaries who robbed Chronicler on the roadside the guy who was in charge of that walks into the inn. He's disheveled. He looks like he hasn't slept in a week. His eyes are sunken in his face and everybody sort of takes him as, you know, they're concerned, but not overly concerned. They're like, Hey stranger, come on in. Everything. Okay. You know, sort of talking to him, trying to figure out what's going on. Bast immediately knows something is going on, but can't, get Quoth's attention to alert him that there's a bigger issue at hand Chronicler recognizes who he is and in a move that I found slightly bizarre confronts him and says you're going to give me back my horse and then he pulls his sword out of his sheath and holds the sword on him and my money too and just I found that a little bit bizarre I don't want to say it's out of character for Chronicler, however, because he is the one who slammed the iron down on the bar with Bass. So I can't say that he doesn't at times have a hot head. So I wouldn't say it's out of character, but it was a a strange thing I thought he did. And then the stranger, the mercenary, uh, grabs the sword, breaks it with his hand, cuts his hand all up, doesn't even flinch at the fact that he cuts his hand all up. Um, then Bast ends up tackling him and chaos ensues. Everyone's running around. Shep stabs the, the mercenary. Um, uh, but the mercenary turns around and stabs Shep. Shep dies. Uh, he's wrestling with Bast. He grabs Chronicler. All this is going on. Quoth breaks a bottle. Um, throws a bottle at him, breaks a bottle, attempts to do, Sympathy, but is unable to. And then ultimately, the apprentice is the apprentice boy is the one who is able to defeat this guy with an iron rod to the face. And he, you know, beats him to a bloody pulp. If you weren't already, if you didn't already know that all this was weird. I didn't even mention the weird language that he's speaking. It's fairly clear he's there looking for Quoth, but he can't speak in normal common tongue. If it wasn't already clear that this was not a normal event, that this was something supernatural, when the Prentice boy is beating him, he breaks his spine, he breaks his arms, he breaks his legs, and all the while the thing is still crawling, trying to escape, and then eventually it succumbs, and when it does, it spits this black tarry stuff out onto the floor in front of everybody. That's when everybody, the the constable, the, the priest, everybody in town kind of show up, and they're You know, they're trying to figure out what it was, and they come down to the conclusion that it was somebody who was crazy on dinner resin. All these rumors fly, but eventually everybody goes home with kind of their own version of the story. They all sort of pack up and leave. Everybody except for the Prentice boy, whose name is Aaron. And he, when everybody else is gone, he kind of goes to Quoth and he says it wasn't denaren it it was a demon wasn't it and bass and chronicle are trying to talk him around and quoth is like no it was a demon that's what it was and they sort of send him off and then quoth is like so you ready to continue writing
1: yeah that's i mean a crazy chapter it was a crazy chapter um oh, did you catch the joke that bast made uh, so what? This was just one of my favorite parts, and every time I I chuckle when so so coat uh comes up with a pretty quick cover for why chronicler is there and what he's doing, and Bast and chronicler fall right into this ruse that chronicler is writing Bast's will his will yeah yeah and and Bast says loudly, and I leave my best pair of boots and whichever pants may fit him to my employer. <laughs> The joke being that he doesn't have boots, his feet are cloven, and he (laughs) doesn't have any pants that will fit. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. I just I like the the joshing back and forth of their. I
0: totally miss that of their relationship.
1: Just like it just shows you it's it's a deeper relationship, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The fact that they joke back and forth like that.
0: Well, the other part that I kind of missed is prior to this knucklehead walking in and tearing the bar apart, they're going back and forth and they're telling stories of quoth, you know. Yes, And they're talking about, oh, Quoth did this. No, that's not what it was. Quoth did this. And it just kind of speaks to the thing we were talking about earlier that, you know, the legend of Quoth is not necessarily the the truth of it.
1: And I I love this bit of storytelling because here now at the end of the novel, we get like this. Now we've all heard all the real stories. So we kind of open the book with a, a sort of him throwing out there. You may have heard of me. I did this and this and that. Okay. Then we kind of get these real stories and now we get another rundown. So I have a little list here of, of the stories that they throw out there. And it's interesting to kind of look at them in the context of the story that Quoth has just told us. So he gets paid to go to the university. He gets paid gold, a diamond as big as a, a knuckle and a horse in full tack.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So we know the truth behind that. Um, but he gave the gold to a family whose house burned down at a wedding Mm-hmm. OK, so there's a tiny bit of truth in that one as well. Um, but he 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 lived in in a widow's inn in a town called Amory, which is pretty close to fairly close. Yeah. Um, He was mugged by a sweet eater and he called up a shadow demon. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, he ran into a burning house to save a lady, but he put magic on himself so that he wouldn't get burned. So it's just interesting to yeah, kind the of look at those snippets of truth. Yeah. There were snippets of truth in all of them and yeah that that's just that theme that we've been talking about. Um, and so another thing that jumped out to me while the the mercenary was talking and I was kind of I know that um Patrick Rothfuss, you know, the the words and the language and the names are very important. So I kind of was looking at what the mercenary says and if I could pick out anything that looked familiar
0: Good good on you, because I read the words, but...
1: I, I didn't... I Really, nothing popped out at me that looked familiar, except that two of the words were capitalized as though they might be names. Hmm. And so you could tell that he was looking for someone, okay? And when he was asking questions, um, he would say, Tay, something, something, and then these capitalized words. Mm-hmm. Well, Tay is a very common, I don't know, in, in many... Languages in our world. Um, it, it's it's a common root. For referring to someone else. The word you. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, so uh, who knows. What that means. But the two words that look like names are. Sethaloi. And Rinte. So mm. it just. I think that's something I want to put a pin in. And Let's see if see that if comes back, pop up. back
0: up. Because
1: yeah. we know that this is not. This is not an isolated incident. Whatever happened here is is going to play a greater part in well, the story. No,
0: it's definitely not an isolated incident. The story begins with two attacks of the scray L and now we have this son of a bitch pop in here and he, so Bast, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm. there's so much going on here that right. I'm going in three directions at once. Quoth asked Bast if he knew what it was and Bast puts a name on it and says it's a skin dancer and But he says, but it couldn't have been a skin dancer because when he coughed it up, it didn't attack anybody else. Or he
1: said there was something wrong with it.
0: Or, yeah, there's something wrong with it. Um, And, you know, we know that this was a guy who was a normal human. We have stories from when Quoth was in Tarbian about demons possessing people, and it's even mentioned inside the chapter. So they go back and forth. We learn a little bit more about the fae, and Bast's kind of interpretation of what's going on here, right, but this is a weird ass thing, like it, you know that i don't I don't quite understand
1: and it also shows you that Quoth, although Bast is one of the Fae, and quoth is his his teacher, but it shows you that um quoth isn't all all entirely knowledgeable about the fey. No, because you know Bass says, "Well, it's it's one of the Mahale, or whatever." I think that's it. Mahale looks like what the word is, mm-hmm. and Quo says, "Oh, isn't that well, is that just one of you all look alike to me?" And Bass is like, <laughs> "Dude."
0: <laughs> well, you know there was one other thing I caught in this chapter, a very small thing, but I wanted to to point it out. When he first started, I forget I forget exactly the context, but there was a word that came up in Siaru. And old Cobb says, "I didn't think he was a shim."
1: No, I I think what what happened there is um, the the mercenary comes in speaking
0: a strange language. Thought it was Ciro, and old
1: that's the only foreign language they know. So he says, "Oh, he's it's Ciro," because old Cobb has to know everything. Of course, yeah. So
0: well, the way I took that is he threw out a derogatory term for the childish. Right. Man, that sucks.
1: Do we know that it's derogatory?
0: It it seemed that way to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It just, it seemed that way to me.
1: But, but not, not uh, terribly surprising given their kind of town. They, I mean, they're way back country people and.
0: Yeah. I'm just thinking Man, black people can't catch a break even in a fantasy world, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I
1: don't know. I mean, it's hard. I, I mean, this is a town. To this is a town where the Smiths Prentice, whose parents came from like three towns away, is ostracized for being the ranish boy. Like, you know, I-, I don't know if that that's indicative of what it's like in the world, or this is just a town where outsiders are aliens, basically. They might as well be from Pluto, Yeah. you know, uh, from all the way over there. So going kind of back into like Bast and, and Kvothe talking about what was going on here, I think there's also an important interaction with Chronicler where Chronicler starts to be like, hey, yeah, weren't you trying to, and Bast's like, Shh, sh- "Yeah, Shh, Shh.
0: Shut, up. shut up, don't talk
1: about
0: shut it. Shut up, don't talk
1: about that. <laughs>
0: yeah, we learn more about that later. And,
1: and we do. And and he, and he, and he. Causes him some pain in his shoulder, and and uh, is like now. Well, let's get back to the story.
0: Chapter eighty nine.
1: Chapter eighty nine. Take it away.
0: We start off this chapter by, "Quoth, getting whipped," and it's pretty much a repeat performance of what he did the first time. He takes it; doesn't say it explicitly, but it says repeat performance. So, seems like he takes the gnaw route. He doesn't bleed. He walks out because he still can't show any weakness. He goes. He gets stitched up um, by Mola. I think it said fifty-seven stitches, which is
1: it's a lot of stitches. It's a lot of
0: stitches, you know. And then he takes the twenty talents that he had gotten from Ambrose and goes and buys this very very nice loot, some clothes for himself and some clothes for Ari. And he says, all in all, a really great day. Mm-hmm. But what there was something that he didn't spend his money on, which to me was very telling, hmm. and that was. He didn't pay off his four-talent t- debt to Devi.
1: Yes, he did. You just got to read that again. Really? Yeah, I'm looking at the page right now. It says, um, I spent Ambrose's money on an extraordinarily fine loot, two nice sets of used clothing for me, a small bottle of my own blood, and a nice warm new dress for Ori.
0: Ah, I missed that.
1: Yes. Well, it's easy to miss. That'd be easy to miss, good, so up. yes he he paid off his debt, got himself a loot, well, good because that would have clothing. been stupid that would have been super stupid, absolutely and that,
0: and I and I read it twice and missed it mm-hmm. now, the second time I read through is when I'm taking I read once for just for my own, and then I go back and I read again to take notes, but when I read to take notes, I skim
1: right, so I missed right. it
0: the second time too, so um, I'm glad you pointed that out because I was like that is really dumb right. to have that much money when you don't know when you're going to get money again and not pay that debt off. But okay, yep. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Yeah. So, and then we get into chapter 90. And in this one, he goes back into the other thing with Ari and he works his way into the Belows, which after quite a bit of, of going back and forth with Ari and kind of a cute little interlude of him trying to figure out why it's called below's. And then eventually he figures that he he picks up on the air currents in there and he thinks it's below's and she, and eventually she leads him to, it means billows, but that's just the way it kind of comes off of her tongue.
1: And I thought this interaction was very interesting. The way that Ori is obviously knowledgeable about names so, like she says, you know, he asks her, "Why do you call this the blows?" And she says, "Well, that's its name. You call things by their names. That's what names are for, you know." And and then when he says "blows," she says, "Oh, that's part of the name." So, You're getting there, yeah. yeah. I, you know, my my impression of Ori is that she like naming has had something to do with
0: why she cracked. Why she cracked. Uh, yeah, I kind of thought that as well. So here they, you know, they continue, and then he says that on the air he gets a the scent of leather and dust and immediately i was like okay well that's how we're getting in the archives Then, right. you know and he finds a way you know he's got to crawl through an incredibly tight space but he does manage to find a way almost
1: womb-like <laughs> yeah almost birth canal-ish
0: almost as if
1: bursts forth
0: very metaphorically <laughs> In, into the archives And then he um, he runs in the middle of the night Covered in dirt Scratched up Knocks on Fela's door Late at night And uh, you know He's there for his booty call But uh, but there'll be no booty
1: But by guy. booty he means He's got a favorite Library ads. books
0: <laughs> Exactly Because <laughs> that's, that's what nerds exactly. are really into <laughs>
1: Exactly yeah, Show yeah, yeah, me yeah, your yeah. books baby <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 yeah
0: Whatever Can we talk about the library <laughs>
1: Pretty awesome. So, you
0: know, but of course he has to, you know, he is a 16 year old boy. So he, he does describe, you know, what seeing, you know, Fela in her nightshirt does to him bedsheet. Or that's right. She had to wrap a bedsheet around Wrapped in her. a bedsheet. So she sleeps in the nude, which is good to know. It's good to know. And apparently he can get into the girl's dorm. So,
1: and, and has never had a reason to do this
0: before. No, not at all. Um, and uh, so she agrees that she is going to. Skip class and meet him. Tomorrow. Meet a friend. Meet a friend. That's right. Uh, tomorrow in the in the archives because he can't he can't tell her it's him. Right. You know because for obvious reasons. And so we skip ahead to that meeting with a friend, and of course it's Quoth, and you know she's like, "What are you doing here? You know you're going to get us expelled." And he's, "Oh, you're crazy." And then they talk for a while, and. She sort of gives him a big, like he he says, I really thought this place would be better organized. I can't find anything I'm looking for. And then she gives him a huge kind of lecture on, oh, okay, like it's so easy to organize it. How would you do it? And just lays out this whole problem of, just how impossible it is to actually categorize the I think she says it's almost like seven hundred and fifty thousand books or something absurd like that that mm-hmm. are in that are in the archives. So that's um that's really sort of how that chapter ends.
1: And so we also kind of see um that Quilt's end game, his end goal of getting into the archives is not going to be the sort of uh catch easy all answer solution. Why can't I use words right now? (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not going to be as easy to get answers as he thought he jumped over this huge hurdle and there's another hurdle in front of him.
0: Yeah. Which is that you can, you know, you can walk into the archives not so easily, but you can get into the archives, but that doesn't mean that you're going to find the information that you're looking for, especially if what we suspect is true which is that somebody is deliberately hiding the information. Yes. However, she does say that there are whole chunks of books, like like whole libraries. Like hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands of books that have effectively been lost through just miscategorization. Now, what that means exactly, we don't know. It could be that the answers he's looking for are in there. You know, maybe they've scrubbed through and pulled everything out of all the books, but not the lost books, or uh, who knows? We don't really know. But again, I don't think that's said for nothing. So we file that away and and see if that comes back up again. Right. All right. And then we get into chapter 91. And chapter 91 really is sort of another montage sort of chapter. Where he talks about the rest of his term, he talks about the time he spends in the archives. This is where he says, "Elidin, you know, did something that resembled teaching periodically." He you know, makes that kind of offhand right. comment. Right. Yes, yep. that's where that mm-hmm. comment is. And then he also talks about how he started to be able to find Denna more often, particularly as the weather got colder, and that all the while she had her many, you know, uh, man friends that she had hanging out with her. And they would, you know, they would come, he would get to know them, they, you know, hated him, and it just sort of goes on and on about how this continues to happen, that she she won't say anything to him, he won't say anything to her, Will and Sims try to give him advice, but he, he just wants to be her friend, he tells them, you know, even though we all know that's complete and total BS, and ultimately... Once again, nothing comes of it. You know, I think at this point we're squarely in the friend zone. And it seems at one point he's talking with Will and Sims and he's talking to him. And I forget where this area is, but it's what they call it. But it's where the wind, you know, can take something out of a courtyard. And depending on what exit it takes,
1: the questioning hall, the
0: questioning hall, yeah, gives you sort of the answer. And he takes Dennis note and throws it out there and it just swirls around and ultimately doesn't go anywhere at all.
1: So, yeah, I, I thought that part was so, like, poignant and excellent. And I, I really like the the interaction that Quoth has with Sim before this, where they're talking about Denna, really helps me honestly like her character a little more because um, we find out that Sim... Doesn't actually like her very much, and that really
0: he calls her cruel.
1: None of his friends like her. Yeah, they don't get what he sees in her. They're like, yeah, I mean, she's, she's she's all right, you know. She's you know she's charming. She's pretty, like, but we don't get why you're turning yourself inside out over this one. So, for me, and I and I've told you before that part of the problem I have with Dena is the that she reminds me of this trope of the the all-perfect girl that just everybody is in love with all the time and she never does anything wrong and, like, she just isn't, like, a real person. So this gives you a little glimmer of insight that, okay, no, that's not what's going on here. That's, that's just who she is. what's going on in mind. Exactly. That's who she is to him. And, I mean, that being said, if all of your friends hate someone that you feel like you're in love with, you know, you just have to, like just got to ask yourself are they right
0: maybe they know something you don't know
1: maybe they but i i love this line when he's talking about he he thinks she's cruel and quote is like oh no she's just like a active nature she can't (laughs) help it she can't help herself and and uh you know she's not wicked or me but he says denna is not wicked she's cruel because um, she's like to, like a like an act of nature, and she says he says Kvothe says Denna is not wicked or mean or spiteful. She's cruel, and Sim was quiet for a long while before responding. I think she might be some of those other things and cruel as well. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, it's it's it is hinted at, and that actually like makes me like the character more because it's acknowledged. You know, it's kind of put out there. So it's kind of like, okay, this is not just a badly written character. Uh, No,
0: I certainly don't take it that way at all.
1: But that's like the root of my dislike for her was just that is so often in fantasy, these female characters, they're just poorly written. They're just thrown up there to be like archetypes for males to react to. They're not real people in and of themselves, and it it just pisses me off. So and anything that stinks of that, I'm just like, ugh.
0: Well, and because you get such a limited perspective on this character, it's difficult for it to not come across that way.
1: Right, but this scene, having another male character react to her differently and kind of point these things out, like, hey, what what's going on here she i don't i don't get what you see in her it's like okay so you you get that almost get that all right this is just how Kvold sees caesar she's not she's not just fake or poorly written and you know so it you know paradoxically another character expressing his dislike for her makes me like her more yeah <laughs>
0: Well, and somebody Yet. we know we don't like is Ambrose, who comes up in chapter 91 as well. And we really don't get into a lot of the details, but Quoth says that, you know, Ambrose sort of takes a back seat to, to ever, or he stops antagonizing him or going out of his way to antagonize him. And Quoth thought, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe he's finally learned his lesson. But then once again, he drops the line, but he wasn't learning his lesson and the next time he would strike, I would end up having to leave the university.
1: So it kind of puts that at rest for you a little bit, huh? That question of, is this, is this him getting expelled, you know?
0: Yeah, it, it does. Well, and it also tells you what I've been saying for weeks now, which is, you know, this, the way he interacts with Ambrose is going to cause him significant harm,
1: Right. And again, it, it kind of sets up the next book to have the same sort of like tragic Paul cast over it that this one did. So you kind of know no matter what happens, he, you know, Ambrose is going to get his revenge and.
0: Yeah. And that's just a really interesting way that Patrick Rothfuss decides to write this where a lot of the big riddles are answered for you you know and he's not the only one to do this and do it successfully if you read dune by frank herbert a lot of that's the same way mm-hmm. like there's not a whole lot of like you know from the beginning of that book that house atreides is going to be betrayed you know you know it's going to end badly you know that the duke is going to die like it says all that stuff i'm not giving spoilers for i dune. was gonna say <laughs> because it tells you all that stuff right from the beginning. Right. You know, um, but it's how it all plays out and how it all happens and what happens as a result of all those things that, you know, that is really what makes the book. And from the beginning in this book, a lot of the things, you know, you know, Quoth doesn't die, at least not in these first couple of books. You know, you know, he's not going to die. You don't know if something's going to happen in the, quote, present tense at the end, but you know he survives. You know he doesn't survive unscathed. You know he doesn't get together with the girl. You know he gets kicked out of the unit, You know all these things, you know. So a lot of the things that in a lot of other books would be surprises, the kind of the narrative plot points that these things would be built around, he just lays it all out there, you know, from the beginning. And that's just a very interesting choice to make that you don't see a lot of authors— make
1: well it's tough to do and And do do it it well and and not leave threads hanging you know it would be very easy to have you know set all this up and not have it come to a satisfying conclusion so for that reason i I don't care how patrick roth how long he takes to finish the third book like this is a very difficult thing to do well and i would rather him take as long as it's going to take and and do it right.
0: No, agreed. And we've, we've talked about that before. Um, and it's very tempting for the fandom to want to jump on these guys, you know, Martin and Rothfuss, and say, hey, get these damn books out. But the reality is is that this, this kind of quality of genre literature, I'll be frank with you, I don't know that we've seen it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Patrick Rothfuss, we've talked about this before as well. I don't know if it was on the podcast or in our kitchen, but it was we've talked about how he hasn't really he doesn't have the same option that George R. R. Martin does in in well I'll just stretch this into another book he yeah. he's set it up very neatly to really be a trilogy and it's got to be a trilogy because he's got day 1 day 2 day 3
0: now whether or not that was a wise choice i don't know
1: <laughs> i mean it's brilliant though it's brilliant i mean and i i understand Why sometimes books get split into two, or oh, I can't finish, but it's a little frustrating when that happens as well. Yeah, you know, when it happened with Wheel of Time, I mean, it had to obviously. The last book got split into three books, um, but um, you know, that's because the previous five books before that covered nothing, were, were just really needed to be just hacked apart and
0: the editing wasn't edited down to one book really
1: so anyway i'm getting off track but either way um i i look forward to this being a really satisfying conclusion whenever the third book comes
0: out yeah and i uh, i'll say it again i really think that we're in kind of a golden age of writing when it comes to fantasy literature yeah and it's it's we we love the classics. We love the Lord of the Rings and all of that. But from a quality of writing and character standpoint, I don't know that we've had anything this good in, in these genres. You know, when you look at some of the stuff that we've got coming out now, I mean, it's really, it's pretty remarkable. So, again, if they take if they take another 10 years to write the books, who cares? If what you get is, is going to really be as phenomenal as we think it's going to be, let them take their time. All right, so chapter 92. So we come back into an interlude, and this is when they're sort of wrapping up and closing up for the night, and it's, you know, good night, John Boy, good night, Sarah Jane, you know, whatever. And, you know, Cote is going to stay down. Coat. Coat. Thank you. He's going to stay down and polish some bottles and think about what he's going to do you know and he's just sort of you know puttering around
1: he's, he's going to listen to the cure <laughs> he's,
0: he's going <laughs> to listen to the smiths in his <laughs> every <Yeah, you're> right <laughs> let's come on now um and um you know and putter around and think about what he's going to say tomorrow and chronicler's going to go up to bed shove the dresser in front of the door but he's the only one who is really properly intimidated by what the hell just happened to this end <laughs> and like quote ambassador, just like, well, I guess it's time to go to bed. And I'm sitting here going, are you insane? This is now the third time we've had some sort of demonic creature attack. Like well, we had the, for the initial scray L attack. Um,
1: oh yeah. And then all the, the, and others. Then the group of yeah. the scray L mm-hmm. and
0: then now this crazy right. possessed, you know, highwayman who came out of nowhere and you know i'm packing up i'm gone right like i'm not i'm not spending another night in this inn you know and chronicler is the only one who's taking it with any real reverence you know
1: but you know we still see and 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 that reminded me of something i wanted to mention when you were talking before about chronicler when the mercenary came in and, and you felt that that felt a little out of place the way that he reacted. And I, I didn't agree with that. I felt like that's exactly what he would have done. You know, um, we look at him as maybe being kind of a meek sort of scribe. But at times we get to see that he's actually um, a fairly strong, uh, powerful arcanist in his own right, and probably is used to himself being sort of the kind of the smartest person in the room, or or the boldest person in the room. So you know the way that he he handles being robbed with he, he just completely plays that situation. Yeah. Um. He runs into the one of the fay and kind of jumps into action there, thinking he's being defensive, you know. And now here his the the person who robbed him that he's kind of ticked about because he's ticked about the shirt, honestly. And um, only for once this guy's not surrounded by his buddies with swords. He's surrounded by. You know, the legendary Quoth and uh, Bastius, one of the Fae, who he knows has his back. So, yeah, he's going to, you know, he's going to try and arrest this guy.
0: Yeah. And, and um, I get that. I agree that it's not, I don't consider it out of character. It, but it still kind of, it still sort of struck me as odd. I don't know why. Maybe, well, maybe.
1: probably because,
0: I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say probably because for us as readers, we know that this interruption is not we know right from the get go. this is not just some scruffy mercenary, yeah, something's going on, and obviously, you know, Bast is freaking out back there, Chronicler doesn't know that something something eerie is about to go down, yeah, um right away, I'm like oh it's it's definitely a zombie, so yeah, it seems pretty stupid to try and grab the guy's sword and and challenge him.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that's a big part of it. I think the other part of it is that while I agree that Chronicler does not is not a meek character. He does spend 95 percent of his time in the book. Just sort of sitting there being a scribe. Right. So, but you
1: know, and then uh, on the other hand, he doesn't run, you know, no, Wolf no, no. turns around and is like, so you ready to start writing. He's like, I'm good
0: yeah no he doesn't run
1: I also thought it was funny how Bast you know um, I don't know if you caught this when he's He's, he's looking at Chronicler's shoulder and, and genuinely concerned. And then as soon as Chronicler starts to ask about it, he, he jabs his thumb in and then he turns around and, and says, I need to put a poultice on this. And he proceeds to ask for the smelliest things he could possibly think of and slaps it all on him. And that kind of comes back up in this chapter too, yeah. that he, he's taking off this, this how foul smelling this thing is. Yeah, yeah. That's just kind of funny that, that Bass has definitely got a spiteful streak. Yeah, he does. He, he's not well, crazy about this
0: guy. Well, and... So Chronicler goes up to bed. He can't sleep. So he shoves the dresser in front of the door and he finally gets into sleep and then Bast wakes him up. He's crept in through the window. He's got his hand over his mouth. He wants to have a conversation with him. And we get to see a side of Bast that we have not seen to this point. Mm-hmm. And this is, where, this is where the author chooses to end this novel. We find out that Bast has been deliberately allowing rumors to spread that Quoth is here in this town because he can't stand what he's turned into in Coat. Right. And he goes through and he explains in, in, in a... I think he does a great job of explaining how by Quoth becoming Coat, he has become Coat. He's no longer hiding behind the name. He has become a failed innkeeper and he's become a shadow of what he once was. And Bass is willing to do anything, even if it means drum up old enemies mm-hmm. to make that change. But he's mm-hmm. he he then proceeds to you know not only tell Chronicler how great he is and how happy he is that he's there. But then he goes and really but goes into this dark, dark, very threatening place telling Chronicler he's going to use his guts to turn him into lute strings and make him play the lute while he dances in his guts like a muddy puddle. (laughs) I mean, like just... It just
1: turns on him, doesn't it? It just
0: completely turns on him. And it sort of reminded me, actually, of the fairies in... Jonathan Strange. Yeah. That's sort of what it, what it reminded me of, how these are not, you know, these are not happy sprites playing in a field of mushrooms. The, yeah, this this is a very different sort of creature that you're dealing with. You know, so Bass has been spreading all these rumors around. Is that why all these demons keep showing up all of a sudden?
1: Uh, it's entirely possible, and because we don't really know the meat of the story and what Quoth actually did. You know, we know that Quoth blames himself Mm -hmm. for the scrail and for the skin dancer and, and all of that, but we don't know what he, what he actually did. Yeah. So,
0: well, and we, we believe that we believe that Bast is a well-intentioned character. We believe him when he's, or I chose to believe him when he says, when Chronicler says, what do you get out of all this? And Bass says, I just want my Reshi back. Right. Like, so we we be- I believe that, that he means that in earnest. But we don't know the relationship. Right. We don't know that that's really true. We don't know that he doesn't have some ulterior motive. I don't think he does.
1: No, and I, I yeah, I, I had never thought of that before. But I I think that my impression is that is that he just does want him back. Well, I agree. He wants you. him back to his former self, and he has a really, um, really cool kind of analogy that is just a really nice piece of writing where he's talking about how people see us and how that shapes who we are. You know, when he talks about how you meet a, when you meet a girl. You can tell her that she's beautiful, but she won't believe you. Yeah. But she'll believe that you mean it, but she won't believe it about herself. But if you show her that she's beautiful, she isn't seen as beautiful. She is beautiful seen. Yeah. And that just gives me goosebumps. That was a great line. That's a great line. And that's exactly what has happened to Quoth, who is now Coat. You know, he took on this role and and it and i i just i love the symmetry of this how it pulls back to what i see as 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 the main theme of the book and that is identity mm-hmm. what makes us who we are and all the different things that shape us um in into who we are
0: yeah and that's how it sort of closes out in the epilogue yeah with the silence in three parts and again the last silence and the deepest silence being coat who was just sitting there waiting to die. That's pretty much how it ends. Right.
1: And so... Uh, well, so,
0: and I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. So the other thing I noticed in uh, chapter 89, I think it was. Is 89 when the attack happens? Mm, or is it 88? 88 or 89. 88, yeah, 88, okay. Is right before Bast tackles the mercenary for the last time, and the apprentice stoves his head in. The mercenary gets to Quoth and grabs a hold of his sleeve. And Quoth does not resist him or try and fight back. Yes. He kind of like closes his eyes and sighs. Like he's like, well, <laughs> he's, Yep. And so it shows you just how resigned and fatalistic he is at this point
1: yeah absolutely
0: you know and that's that's a pretty that's a pretty sad place to be given all the things that have already happened to this character
1: well and the contrast between coat as he's facing this skin dancer versus quorth who took down a several ton Dracus on his own just instinctively and um and and Quoth who call can call the wind, yeah. and it's just kind of highlights the difference between the two, and just heightens your anticipation to to find out what happened, what happened to make this change.
0: There's a lot of questions that we don't have answers to yet,
1: and I think it's it's going to be interesting to look at his you know because because Quoth mentioned several times that his best moments, his moments where he was most himself were moments where he didn't overthink things. And I think that goes back to this whole notion of the sleeping mind and the waking mind. And now we kind of get that explained, but it's brought up several times, so I think it's going to be important, you know? And I I think that's so relevant to um to me, who is a chronic overthinker, and I think it's something that just a lot of us can relate to. You know, and I think that's going to be another really important part of his character, and one of his important flaws is that he's an overthinker. He's got to think through everything, and that one of his like struggles as a character is, as a person, is being able to let go of stuff. So I think that's going to see we're going to see him start to struggle with that, and obviously fail because now he is this. He's become what he is.
0: Yeah. Exactly. All right. So that is it.
1: we did it. We covered the name of the
0: wind. We read the book. We did it. We read a book. We I'm talked. So about
1: excited! That
0: book. It's good. So next week we are going to sit down and really, rather than just talking about these chapters, we're going to break kind of break down the book as a whole. Talk about some of the predictions that were made. Talk about predictions for the next book and a few other things that we've kind of got. Some things we got cooking up.
1: Surprises in store. Exactly. that we're Stay tuned. Exactly.
0: stay Because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't
1: know. You don't I know. don't know. We haven't talked about it yet.
0: It hadn't happened. Right. How can, how can we know? So that's what we're going to do next week. And then. Uh, we'll have a couple of weeks before we pick up on Game of Thrones. So a little bit of, um, we'll probably have one or two episodes in there. We're not a hundred percent sure what we're going to do. Got some ideas of what we're going to do with those episodes. So we'll see, you know, kind of how that all plays out, but then we'll cover uh, Game of Thrones through that see that series. And then we'll probably pick up with wise man's fear when we get on the other side of it.
1: Yes. And I, and I would also tell people that by, Next week podcast, we will have a definitive answer as to what I think we've got a like a three week stretch between um, finishing this book and starting talking about the Game of Thrones series. So um, next week, we will lay that out what those three episodes are going to look like.
0: Yeah, we're not slackers. We have ideas. We just haven't decided which one we're going to do yet. I'm a slacker. you're not a slacker i i live with you i know better than that <laughs> all right um so we do have a couple of things i'm not going to get into predictions because
1: we'll do that next we'll week. we'll do
0: that next week yeah we'll save that for next week um i do have a couple of things i wanted to talk about some fandom news and some interaction we had from some fans before i get into that do you have anything you want to talk about nope okay okay so let's talk about a little bit of fan interaction. So we had some comments on the Twitter page. Um, we had Izzy Canidi, who is at IsabellaCND on Twitter, and she thought that our dinner rant in episode six was hilarious because, as the timing of it works out, that just happened to come out <laughs> while we're record, right, right before we're recording this, and uh, says that she can relate. And then...
1: See, I'm not the only one.
0: You're not. You're Me not. Me
1: and Sim. That's right. And Isabella.
0: And Bast. And Bast. And Izzy. Um and then Lewis, who is at Lewis JK87, said Denna is his favorite character. Oh, sorry Lewis. Said she's mysterious, independent and could probably kill you. What's not to like? <laughs> so, All kinds of opinions are respected. So many opinions. They're all all good opinions. (laughs) They're all good opinions. (laughs) That's so funny. Now, we also had some really good name of the wind, Kingkiller Chronicles artwork that's come up on the Twitter page. So I just want to give a shout out to at Luma Inc. That's Luma underscore Inc. Uh, L-U-M-A underscore I-N-K. And also, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Um, But A underscore uh, decico, so A underscore D-E-C-I-C-C-O, who put out some really, really cool artwork uh, that we retweeted and linked to on our Twitter. So good stuff that you should check out. So we like our fans, and we had somebody on our Facebook page today, too. I don't remember the name, so that's why I'm looking at you. Katie? Yeah.
1: Hi, Katie? (laughs)
0: so who said hi as well so we like our fans and we have at least three and we mention them all by name here tonight
1: and we'll continue to do so there could be there could be public humiliation what's in store
0: no no um and just one piece of fan news that has just kind of come out and it's around the wonder woman movie which, of course, by the time this actually gets out there, this will be old news, but that's okay. We'll discuss it anyway. So there's a small chain of upscale movie theaters called the Alamo Drafthouse. They've got 20-some theaters all throughout the U.S., and they are holding a women's-only screening of Wonder Woman. And predictably, the Internet has not handled it well. And by the Internet... I mean, men on the internet have not handled it well. How do you feel about it? Uh, I don't care. I mean...
1: I don't care either.
0: Yeah. You know, if you want to have a women's only screening of Wonder Woman, I say go right ahead. I don't quite understand why somebody would have an uproar about it. I think it... And I don't want to get too... We don't want to get too far into a political thing, but I think it delves into the whole, well what would you say if we had a men's only screening of, I don't know.
1: Wonder Man. Wonder Man. Manly Man. Of
0: Superman. What if we had a Superman. men's only screening oh, of Superman? Oh, yeah,
1: I guess that would be the male
0: equivalent of Wonder Woman. Right. Everybody would be all up in arms about it. How come nobody's up in arms about this? You know, I, I'm i pretty sure, sh- you know, that's where it comes from.
1: Well, yeah, sure.
0: Um, the only thing that I thought about it was, it seems to me like a genius marketing move (laughs) because until this came up, I, I didn't know what the Alamo draft house was because we don't have one around here, you know? So now it, you know, it, it's the Q rating, at least for the time being for the Alamo draft house is way up. Um, and I tend to believe that that was not done, you know, cynically with that in mind that they were doing it because that's what they wanted to do. And they felt like it was the, it was the right thing to do. But, If they did do it with that in mind, then I say, hats off to you. That's genius. That's genius marketing. Yep. So that is my fandom news. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Got anything else?
1: So no, but I feel like next week we should talk about dream casting the name of the wind we should have a whole dream casting section and if we were actually posting these on time i would tell people to to send us your dream casts well they can and they still should on twitter
0: you're right they can't why but well they can it'll just be after the when it comes out yeah
1: send us your dream cast because i love dream casting and it's exciting to think about this book actually being put onto film i have some very strong feelings about this
0: so it'll be fun. Buckle up. All right. So where can they find us?
1: I don't. I.
0: I always ask you that. Well, you
1: always ask me that, but you have the paper. <laughs> I don't have it written down.
0: I don't have it written down either.
1: I, but I have a terrible memory.
0: Well, I actually deal with all these sites, so For I'm the words. one. I'm the one who knows <laughs> with it, who Knows. It. So you can find us at the Duke and Duchess That is our official website. We have stuff on there. We There's do. There's stuff. There is yeah, stuff.
1: Charts there. and stuff.
0: There's absolutely stuff up there. And we're getting better. We're getting better at putting stuff up there. You can also find us on Facebook at The Duke and Duchess and on Twitter at The DND Podcast. Uh, and we're pretty responsive on both of those outlets. Of course, we love to get any reviews that you have on iTunes, Stitchers, or Google Play. Pimp us out. Pimp us. Also, tune in radio. Another, another avenue that's out there for you to be able to listen to the podcast. But really, the thing that really, really helps us that we really want is tell somebody. Tell a friend. Share it on social media. Link to our stuff. That's If you really want to help us get the word out, that's how you do it. That's how you do it right there. So anything else? Nope. Well, thank you guys so much. We love you. And good night. Good night.